This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my robotguts.com or drcorbyforever.net or kenissecretlyarobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .net address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .net today. It gets better, though. HostGator has 24-7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MISSIONLOG, and you'll get 30% off at HostGator.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 72. That, which survives. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, and I am for you. And I'm John Champion, and I am for you. <laughs> and, and when I say you, I, I mean everybody who's listening. I mean you, you who is listening right now. Yeah, I am. I am for you. Me too. That's and what, only that, you. That's what I mean, right? And then, in fact, it would be great if you guys would just listen one at a time this week. Yeah, because you know, then when I'm done with you, I'm coming for you. <laughs> and I think you know who you are. Each week, we ask you to make your mission our mission, which is the mission of analyzing Star Trek to see if there are morals, meanings, and messages relevant to our lives. This week, that which survives. I think that sums it up, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> that which survives is, uh, is what we will learn. Yes, but the real so. question is, which survives that? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's sort, of a, sort of an anagram for that which survives. <laughs> maybe just maybe one of our listeners will have the answer to that question and uh, they can contact us in a multitude of ways facebook skype and twitter all three places the handle is mission log pod you can call us at 323-522-5641 you can email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com you can even visit us on the web www.missionlogpodcast.com remember we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, you see, there were two ways to go with that whole I am for you thing. Mm-hmm. Um, creepy, which I think we did. Okay, good. Hopefully pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I were just a listener to the beginning of this show, not in on it, because I want to know if that creeped people out as much as, as much as I hope it did. But the other thing that I kept thinking all the way through was she's like the sort of like the greatest campaigner kind of in her zombie like uh, booster like i am for you oh yeah (laughs) yeah i am for you like Mm -hmm. i kept picturing like a like a really weird uh really slow grassroots political organization 
which is very, very slow. Mr. Diamato, I am for you. Right, like that kind of thing. I like that. Let's rally everybody. Well, or I'll just kill you and move on to some. I'm for Sulu now. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, this is just the uh, the rehearsals, and when we go back and do the real show, we can, uh, you know, we, we can really hit on that. <laughs> yeah, <let's, laughs> the yeah. political campaign aspect. Maybe yeah. next time. Yeah. It, yeah it's it's yeah. a subtext. It's, it's like, uh, mm-hmm. it's like um, oh, I don't know, like the Manhattan Project's Meet the Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really not like either of those things. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it'd be fun to say it was. Hey, you know what else would be fun, John? What's that? You know what else would be fun, John. I do know it would be fun. It yeah. would be trivia. It, it would be, be trivia. loads of fun. All yeah. right. All right. You ready? You ready for this? I, Here we wait, go. I am for trivia. Okay. This trivia is for you. Uh, this episode, That Which Survives, was directed by Herb Wallerstein. You remember Herb, right? We met him on the Tholian web when he took over for Ralph Sininsky, who got canned midway through the shoot. Um, of course, the guest star, the major guest star on this episode, Lee Merriweather, who plays Lucira. She was Miss America in 1955. She did a lot of TV and voice work. She appeared in an episode of Fantasy Island, which, of course, starred Star Trek alum Ricardo Montalban, and her episode of Fantasy Island also starred Cesar Romero, who played the Joker to her Catwoman in the 1966 Batman film. Um, oh, uh, who else was there uh, in that Batman film? Frank Gorshin. So we just have all of these Batman guest stars throughout <laughs> this sort of end run of Star Trek TOS. Yeah, it was um, like it's like uh, three of the uh, three of the past four episodes, right? Right, right. We have had uh, Yvonne Craig, Frank Gorshin, and now uh, Lee Merriweather. I am so looking forward to the Burgess Meredith episode of Star Trek. You keep looking forward to that, Ken. Oh, I will. Uh, Lee, Lee Merriweather was also in a handful of Mission Impossible episodes alongside Leonard Nimoy. Uh, and genre fans may also know her from The Time Tunnel, an Irwin Allen show that premiered the day after Star Trek did in 1966, but it only ran for one season. Um, I found this interesting that in 1987, she played Lily Munster in The Monsters Today. Uh, John Shuck played Herman, and we will definitely meet him again in Star Trek Yet to Come. Um, We have a lot of Enterprise guest crew members. Um, I don't know if this kind of stood out to you, Ken. It was kind of weird to me. Um, You know, we have no Chekhov, but we have Naomi Pollock at the navigation console as Lieutenant Radha, uh, who, by the way, interesting that we see a Hindu and a female person sitting at the navigation console. Well, Um, you see a female. Well, no, but she – it it has been said, and I I think that most – Star Trek fans and scholars will agree that they are definitely making a point that she is Hindu, what with the traditional, uh, the dot in the middle of her forehead. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, I agree with that. Seriously, yeah. Oh, no, I understand that. It's sort of yeah, like yeah. when they hired that Mexican guy to play the Indian guy, though. See? Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got, <laughs> well, the, the I, I got the impression. Yes. The character. Is, yes. Yeah. Yes. Sadly, there were actually no Hindus on the planet at the time, mm-hmm. no, nor people from, uh, from uh, I'm assuming she was supposed to be from India, yes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there were uh, no people in India back in 1969, or no people from India here. Right. To play her. Working in Hollywood. Yeah. I don't care. I just, she just, she seemed dirty, honestly, with the the makeup didn't seem that good. And I'm not saying that like, oh, get that person away. I mean, like, her makeup was sort of like, 
she has something on her face. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, she she had unfortunate hair and makeup, and, <laughs> um, but 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 hey, we a for effort, except in the hair and makeup department. Well, um, and we also not hiring somebody who was actually the thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Please, <laughs> please. We also had uh, Arthur Batanidis as D'Amato. We had Booker Bradshaw. He is back as Dr. Mbenga. Yeah. Uh, we had Kenneth Washington as Watkins. You have Brad Forrest. You have all these people that show up as all these random crew members, many of whom we have not seen before and will not see again. <laughs> um, hey, really quick question. Who is yeah. the guy sitting in Chekhov's chair? The guy sitting, oh, oh, uh, you know what? I actually did not write down his name. Well, don't worry about it. But he's always there, isn't he? I mean, it's the same guy, right? Well, it, yeah, you had Billy Blackburn, and I believe that's who you're referring to. We have Billy okay. Blackburn a lot in yeah. uh, Star Trek. We kind of haven't mentioned him. But, yeah, if that is who you're referring to, he he actually appears in more episodes than most regular cast members. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's sort of uh, like the uh, he's sort of like uh like once we got rid of Lieutenant Call, then he, Call. <laughs> then, he, yeah. then he's then our guy. Billy but, Blackburn, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to talk to him. No, no, yeah. no, of course not. Um oh, and by the way, this episode is written by Michael Richards, you know, the guy from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that one really was it. That no, one? Yeah. no, I'm lying to you. In fact, it's not Michael Richards at all. That's actually DC Fontana's pen name. Really? Yeah, yeah. So she wrote the story, and then uh, John Meredith Lucas wrote the teleplay. Um, so yeah, a little strange. And and one might wonder, did DC Fontana use her male pseudonym as uh, a name just because she sometimes would? Well, you know, not let on, as in the choosing of DC, that she was female, or did she change it because she wasn't necessarily happy with the final script? <laughs> uh, we'll see. Um, also, here's a neat little bit of trivia. The electrical discharge effects around Scotty when he's in the tube and he's trying to use his magnetic tool to fix the leak of the matter, antimatter, those are tree branches that are filmed and then inverted and then just lead on top of the film of Scotty. Her diabolical plan laid out, Catwoman moves to take over the Enterprise. Meanwhile, at Space Command, John recaps an episode of Star Trek. Prologue. Hey, that's a weird planet. Small, dense, it's got gravity and vegetation, but it's really young. These things just don't add up. Well, better send down a landing party so Kirk, McCoy, Sulu, and Lieutenant Tomato, a geologist, go to the transporter room. Just as they are being dematerialized by a guy who is definitely not Scotty, a mysterious woman in a purple crop top appears, begging them to stay put. She reaches for not Scotty's shoulder and he collapses dead on the floor because he is definitely not Scotty who would otherwise have been at the controls. Now materialized on the planet's surface, there's an earthquake tossing the landing party around. On the Enterprise, there's also a, a, a ship quake. And in no time, the landing party can't radio their ship and the ship can't even see the planet anymore. Stranded and stranded. Act one. The landing party are starting to go into survival mode while looking for answers to what happened to them and to the Enterprise. Back on the ship, Spock is now acting like a mid-level manager who has to work on a Saturday and snapping at everyone for answers. 
Scotty has determined that they have been knocked a little off course, like 990.7 light years. Dr. Mbenga has determined that not Scotty, the transporter technician, had all of his cells disrupted, like from the inside out. That'll ruin your day. On the planet, Kirk gives one of those orders that we just know is going to have a questionable outcome. Hey, let's split up. Sulu finds strong magnetic fluctuations that make no sense. McCoy finds a sudden life form reading. D'Amato finds a mystery woman, and the mystery woman finds D'Amato's shoulder with her hand. Pretty soon, Kirk finds D'Amato's corpse, and McCoy finds that D'Amato's cells have been disrupted. All that, and they didn't even have the dignity to dress D'Amato in a red shirt before beaming down. Act 2. Kirk uses his phaser to dig a grave for D'Amato, but the rock on the planet isn't just melting away like it should. Another oddity here. And Sulu is asked to take over with the geological duties to figure out why. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, they are cruising away at high warp to try to find the captain. Scotty is worried, though. He knows his engines, and he knows that right now, something is wrong. He's not sure he knows what it is, but he does know that he doesn't like it. He asks another crewman, Watkins, to check out the matter-antimatter bypass valve. When Watkins heads off to check, uh-oh mystery woman in a purple crop top. She's asking about the engine control, but she seems to know an awful lot about the ship's vulnerabilities. Before Watkins can get help from Scotty, he gets the unfriendly hand on his shoulder, and pretty soon Scotty is reporting a casualty to Spock, along with Watkins' last words that a strange woman did it. On the planet, Sulu reports that the planet is probably not naturally occurring, too many oddities, and the people who built it are nowhere to be seen. Sulu wanders away from Kirk and McCoy, who are trying to get some shut-eye on a rock, and he finds, guess who, the mystery woman. There's a little shoulder touching, but before she can kill Sulu, and she says she is only there for Sulu, Kirk and McCoy come running. Phasers don't work on her, but when the woman touches Kirk, nothing happens. She was just there for Sulu, right? Kirk tries to reason with her, but he's getting nowhere. She means no harm. She doesn't want to kill. She just needs to touch Sulu. And then, well, that mystery woman kind of goes all two-dimensional and disappears. She was beautiful, though, as Sulu points out, and Kirk agrees. How are things going on the Enterprise, you might ask? It's been a few minutes, and things are not good. There's a power surge, and Scotty kind of slow her down or something. Maybe that mystery woman had something to do with it when she figured out what poor Watkins was working on. Anyway, there are fewer than 15 minutes left, and then it's bye-bye to the Enterprise. Act 3. Spock is pretty sure that the mystery woman who has left a wake of corpses in her path is responsible for the matter-antimatter juggling that has fused the system and now sends the Enterprise on a race to obliteration. Spock has an answer. Hey, I'll go into that really dangerous part of the ship and do that really dangerous thing that can fix it. Scotty says don't. He'll do it instead. They only have about 12 minutes at this point anyway. Time for a little deduction on the planet. Kirk figures that the mystery woman can only affect one crewman at a time. Perhaps the other two can protect whomever she is after next. Oh, and while he's saying this, his phaser overloads, so he chucks it far enough away to keep the landing party from being destroyed. Scotty has, meanwhile, crawled into the access tube, where he is working on the fuel flow between the matter and antimatter that powers the ship. There is a safety precaution. Spock can actually jettison the pod where Scotty is implanted if he messes up. 
For more on pods and how to jettison, please review the court records in the case of Starfleet versus James Kirk in the death of Benjamin Finney. Back on the mystery planet, guess who shows up again? Well, we were starting to miss her, and now she's come back specifically for Captain Kirk. Act 4. McCoy and Sulu jump in front of Kirk to prevent the whole hand-on-the-shoulder thing happening to Kirk, and now it's time for a little Kirk reasoning with the enemy conversation. Lucera, that's her name, is the commander of this station-slash-planet where they all are. She doesn't want to kill them. She just sees them as invaders. Also, she seems really confused. And also, McCoy gets no readings on his tricorder with her standing right there. She's not human, not an android. She's just not. She feels just terrible about all the killing, really doesn't want to do it, but she just can't help herself. She's committed to defending this place. Kirk also manages to get out of her that she is alone and apparently has been for a very long time. Lysira disappears in her neat two-dimensional folding trick again, and now Kirk uses a tricorder to follow all the power surges. You know, the power surges that showed up before but didn't show up and Lysira was there because there was no reading. Yeah. The signal leads to a door in one of the large rock formations nearby. Time to go inside and have a look around. Meanwhile, on the ship, Spock has been hard at work on his computer as the minutes tick down. Scotty is just about to use his magnetic probe to seal the leak, but Spock jumps in with some new information. Remember when Scotty said the ship didn't feel right to him? Well, there might have been something to that. Spock now realizes that the Enterprise exists a little out of phase due to their sudden jump way back during the prologue. Scotty will need to reverse the polarity on his magnetic probe to make things right. After fumbling with it a little for dramatic effect and the end of the countdown, Scotty makes it all right at the last second. The Enterprise is safe, and then Spock won't shut up about not giving Scotty a little pat on the back. On the planet, landing party now find themselves in a control room. A spinning cube mounted to the ceiling seems to be the central computer, and in a few seconds, Lysira emerges. She has come for Kirk again, and she is determined to touch him thus scrambling his cells and killing him. McCoy and Sulu try to defend him, but another Lysir appears, this one programmed by that central computer for McCoy, then another programmed for Sulu. Things are looking pretty dire when all of a sudden Spock and a security guard beam into the chamber. No time for arousing Kirk's speech. He gives the order to fire at the spinning cube computer, and with that, the three deadly Lysiras disappear. Spock and Kirk now figure it all out. The computer brain in charge is the last remnant of a culture that had put in a defense system on this artificial planet. Then, a projection of Lysira appears on the wall, and she addresses her fellow Kalandans. She, a voice from the distant past, explains how a manufactured disease had accidentally wiped out her people, and the outpost was set up as a refuge for more like her. It was defended by her avatars, assuming there would be more Kalandans on the way. McCoy figures the real Lysira died a long time ago, and any other Kalandans on their way to or from this outpost would have died long ago as well. The computer must have devised the Lysira avatars as a way to defend the outpost, but in using Lysira as the model, those defensive measures also carried her compassion. It was imperfect enough to not simply wipe them out, allowing them time to survive and for the Enterprise to return. They all ruminate that she must have been a remarkable woman. McCoy points out that she was beautiful as well. 
Spock can't let this go unchallenged and says that beauty is transitory. Kirk disagrees. Beauty, he says, survives. So that is that which survives. That, that is that oh, which okay. survives. I have to I have to take issue with a couple of things that you said. Well done, by the way. You do always okay. you, you always compliment me. Well, I, you, you do a great job. Well, Ken. you do well. a great job too, and I feel like I don't tell you that enough, John. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going to sing "Wind Beneath My Wings" to you at some point. Well, you know, honestly, Ken, <laughs> this, this is one that when I watched this episode, and I, yeah. and I hope I'm not tipping the hat. I, when I watched this episode, I honestly thought, you know, I can do the summary in one minute. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. You know, it's a landing party stuck on a planet. Enterprise is really far away. Mystery Woman shows up, and uh, then they realize this is a computer-simulated thing from a dead culture. I mean, that was really all there was to it. And yet I do feel like there are two things that I have to correct you on. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, It's not necessarily a manufactured disease. It was something that they accidentally made while they were making the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe well, is yeah. what she said. So it's not like I mean, this is not like the Mary thing where you know they're trying to they're trying to come up with a biological something and then they accidentally come up with a biological something else. Right, right, right. It's right. more like and and this is kind of weird. You know, it's more like if if you were building a building mm-hmm. and accidentally created a contagion. Right. You know what I mean? I mean that's right, kind of right, right. that, that's a little bit more odd. Um, the other thing uh, you say that uh, uh, Scotty crawls in to you know the 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 conduit. He kind of he kind of slips in. They no, kinda... he no he doesn't. He's got a posse. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing ever, right? So he walks in. and He's not carrying right. anything, and there are right. two guys with him. One yeah. hands him his little hydro spanner or mm. sonic screwdriver or you know whatever that is that he's yeah. going to yeah. have to reverse the polarity on. Right. The other is apparently just there for show, and then he's like. All right, fellas, head first. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what? What are they going to do before he leaves? And it turns out they're picking him up to put him in there. Right now, right. I, I mean, James Doohan, no offense. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about Star Trek Five, Scotty, you yeah. might need a couple of guys to get yeah. you up there. Yeah. This was a young, spry Scotty. You mm-hmm. know, well, as young and spry as we ever see Scotty. I mean, this was that, and but he needs two guys to lift him up, which was kind of. <laughs> I wondered if that was just you know. You know, I don't really command as much as I could. Yeah. <laughs> right. Is that what right. that was? Come on, guys. Right. Yeah. He's, like Spock's been bossing him around the whole episode. He's like, you know what I need? Somebody to boss around. You yeah. and you yeah. come with me. I'm going to ask you to do some stuff, and I don't even want to hear it. Yeah. Because it's stuff that I could certainly do, but what did I just say? I don't want to hear it. And, yeah. and while I'm in there, somebody else go, you know, clean the tiles in my bathroom because <laughs> you need something to do. Because I said so. That's yeah. why. Yeah. No, very true. Very true. 12 yeah. minutes yet left to live. Yeah. You will spend those 12 minutes doing what I say. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't write that goodbye letter. No. <laughs> exactly. No. Come push me in the tube. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Sounds, which sounds dirty. That's, a, that's totally a Fee Waybill song right there. Yeah. Right. Push right. me in the tube. <laughs> All right. Um, few things to uh, to note here in this episode. By the way, we're playing very fast and loose with time and distance, light years, the whole countdown, uh, just the whole concept of time and distance. We just don't even care. What, what, what was she counting down to? By the way, I I get it, but when she gets to one, yeah, and then nothing happens. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted her to get up and go, great, now we're all dead. I hope you're right. happy. You know, because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very dramatic when she's like six, five, and you get to one, and then 
Uh, yeah. Are you sure you did it right? Right. Because I think something else. Yeah. Well, nobody's going to ask Spock if you did it wrong. That's true. That's so, true. I think yeah. you should have started counting 0.37 seconds later. Right. <laughs> right. Lieutenant right. Rada. The whole uh, the Kalandans, well, the, the computer device, it, it's a very interesting way to kill invaders, but very inefficient. Mm. Um, you have to make a new one every time, and you have to go touch somebody on the shoulder. Um, Interesting. Were you under the impression they were making a new one every time or just reprogramming the same one? Oh, oh you know, I, I kind of thought that they were making a new one every time just because we see the three at the end. So then I, I kind of filled in with what had come before. This was a new thing. Interesting. Because yeah. I, I was under the impression that it was reprogramming, although they could make more than one when they, you know, when they were oh, faced they with more to. than one. Yeah. It's crazy, actually. They're, well, maybe we should – I guess we can save that to the next one. I, sure. I, I am curious about, about that weapon system. Mm-hmm. So maybe we circle back to that. Okay. Hey, can yeah. I uh, – speaking of circling back? Yeah, yeah, do it. Oh, my goodness. They actually remembered something. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like – The Horda. Sulu, yeah, oh, yeah. Sulu was standing yeah. there and they're like, so what's going on here? And Sulu's like, hey, could it be a Horda? Of course he didn't say that. He's like, you remember those things that were like rocks from Genesis 6? The planet he remembers, but the name of the, you know, mm-hmm. intelligent race that they discovered and made contact with. Yeah, not so much. Right, right. Yeah, it, that, I thought that was kind of cool and, yeah, and, and very yeah. surprising. And, of course, you know, very completely nice. like sloughed off immediately. But yeah. still, because, you know, they were right. It wasn't a Horda. Right. <laughs> so I get. Yeah. But way to go anyway. I mean, it just, you throw that line in there because that's right. We have actually been on this ship for more than a week. Mm-hmm. That was kind yeah, of no, awesome. To, cool. Kind of yeah. awesome to hear. Yeah. And, and and we remember people who aren't there, like mentioning Chekhov by name, but there is no Chekhov in the show. Yep. I uh, feel kind of bad for him there. Yeah. What's up with everybody's attitude in this episode, though? Dude, I, I it's uncomfortable. It totally. It really is. So you, you have Kirk getting testy with Sulu. Yep. You have Spock getting testy with Scotty. You have yep. Scotty testy with Watkins. And then like you surmise, he, he's getting these two guys to shove him <laughs> in the tube because he can. You know? Um, yeah. It's really uncomfortable. And we're back to this thing that you have pointed out many times where the characters are just being whatever we need them to be in the episode. Yeah. Especially but, Spock here. But why did we need them to be that specifically? I mean, Spock Spock is unnaturally obtuse. Spock has, mm-hmm. is is three PO in a way that we haven't seen really since the first season, right? Um, but yeah, everybody hates everybody in this episode. And there's like yeah. a and there, I think um, something rolls downhill. I can't remember what <laughs> right. that is, but something yeah. rolls downhill. And because I, I remember we were, I was actually watching it with my wife last night. Or night before last or sometime. I can't remember. And we're like, wow, mm-hmm. Spock's being a jerk. And then, of course, Scotty turns immediately around and starts being a jerk to his underling. And I'm yeah. like, yep, stuff rolls downhill. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of it. I felt bad that Watkins didn't have time to go find an ensign. Yeah, right. To exactly. yell at before he met his maker or, well, exactly. Lee Merriweather. But, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that, that, that whole thing is just very, very weird. Um, I, but I will give Spock some props here uh that uh, speaking of props he's actually using his own brain remote control i don't know if you noticed that he's he's walking around on the bridge holding that little device and that was his brain remote control from spock's brain was it really so, yeah so really he, he's got to have a sense of humor about the whole thing i guess so you know yeah. maybe mccoy gave it to him after the whole hey look here's what i use to control your brain or your body you know yeah 
Huh. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of yeah. That, that struck me as out of place. And it, I, I don't want to get into it in our topical discussion, but the, the line that just cracked me up: uh, Lucira appears to Kirk, and uh, right after she, the the one who's programmed for Sulu almost kills Sulu. And what does Kirk say? Are there men on this planet? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course, that's what Kirk asks. <laughs> you know. Well, the two, and, and then the other question, of course, is: Are you lonely? That that was the other one. <laughs> right. like, is yeah. this going to be yeah. another one of those episodes where I'm like, are we are we in love now? Are we right. falling in love? Because that's what's supposed to happen by page three. Right. <laughs> exactly. Is that a ripped shirt in sight? What's going on here? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, and uh, and that that scene though, where um, Spock asks Scotty about going into the most dangerous part of the ship and then doing something by hand, and then Scotty saying no. I, I hope we get to revisit a scene like that sometime in the future because you know that could have played out a very different way. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe one day Spoil- we'll, we'll have a spoiler alert. <laughs> right? Is that what you're doing? I think that's, yeah, what, that's what you're what doing. I'm, that's what I'm doing. And uh, and also, I, I kind of am amused at the idea that there is no time to talk the computer out of killing anyone. You know, um, we just have to shoot it, and we have to save the Kirk speech for another time. Speaking as a computer that's wanted to kill everyone a time or two, take all the time you want to talk me out of it. Not sure it'll help. So, I'm kind of fascinated by the weapon that is Lucera mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a neat thing to play with, not as much to play with as we've gotten in other episodes in the past, but I, I do like the fact that, that it is a weapon that, that sort of recalibrates itself for specific people. Now, it, it kind of goes against what she says in her big recorded message at the end uh, when she says, uh, I'm going to kill everything except for us, except yeah. for us Kalandans, um, because it doesn't really do that. Because if it did that, then when they landed on the planet, they would just all be dead. And she would have taken over the Enterprise. There's a weird – or just destroyed the Enterprise. There's a weird sort of thing of like, you know, tailoring itself for one person Mm -hmm. is kind of a fun idea. Um, I mean in a scary way. You know, Mm -hmm. the the idea of almost like the – like a cellular weaponry or nanotechnology weaponry that that really, you know, can – mate itself to one person um you said earlier inefficient i think that there's actually kind of a neat efficiency about that if you're looking to you know take out one guy there's too much stuff about the weapon that doesn't make sense but i I found that part kind of interesting like okay so it can knock the enterprise 990.7 light years away and still send a Lucera out there, right? And then why? Is yeah. it, and then why is it going after Watkins? Uh, right. Like, I mean, he's like not even a thing. He's like it could yeah, have been yeah. somebody else there at that point. But she's like, John Watkins, I'm yeah. for you, right? Yeah, you're toast, buddy. Right. And 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 she knows everything about Watkins. Well, I'll, mm-hmm. actually, he says that. <laughs> that was my reaction. Yeah. Actually, was like, you know everything about me, and I'm like, dude, she actually only told you like your name. 
Right. You know, and what right. you do. And she can tell what you do partly because of where you are. So yeah. really, it's just your name. <laughs> and she knows when you're lying. Okay, that's true. Mm. Um, so I found that part of it. I found that part of it kind of interesting. Now, uh, the, the, the thing that's weird is I'm not sure how they're figuring out that everybody's cells have been completely disrupted. <laughs> not at all. Because they <laughs> haven't been. Right. They're like, it's, it's like his cells exploded from the inside. And when I say like that, it's not really like that because yeah. the cells actually didn't explode because, look, there's his body. As yeah, opposed he to, looks exactly the same. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's I mean, like his cells exploded. I, I, I mean, I, on a cellular level, I'm picturing like a water balloon or, or no, not, not, not a water balloon, like a, like a beer bottle that got left in the freezer and mm. it just explodes from the inside and, and just leaves a mess. You know, uh, that, that's it, yeah, Sulu's like, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm fine. I'll, I'll get up and walk around, and you know, yeah. even my shirt is okay. Yeah, yeah he, you know? he should have been like a zombie. His arm should have fallen off like the yes. second she touched him because you know, all just like just that, just those cells exactly exploded. Maybe it's interesting. You picture like a like a beer bottle or a water balloon. I just picture mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Like okay. you know, like if you poke. Uh, my cousin did this to me when I was a kid. If, if mm-hmm. you poke a Stretch Armstrong, mm-hmm. uh, it was like this red goo. Inside. I remember that well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I picture. Okay. That's, well, now we know. That's what should have happened. But. <laughs> exactly. Oh well. Exactly. I mean, so I mean, there's something kind of neat about about the weapon thing. It it is mm-hmm. weird to me though. We don't know a thing about the Kalandans except that they're apparently fairly advanced mm-hmm. because they can build planets, small mm-hmm. planets. You know, but they can build planets, but, which but I mean, planet, bigger than the planets yeah. that I can build. So, you know, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give them props for that. Sure. Uh, they can make a computer system that'll last, I mean, like Landru, you know, battery life mm-hmm. on this thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a bummer that their immediate thought is so, what we need to do is make sure that anything else that comes here dies. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was weird. Well, well, it it is strange. I mean, there's a couple of things about that, and uh, yeah, you you correctly corrected me that I, I kind of made it sound like they were just in the disease making business. Yeah, uh, but no, that was an accidental byproduct. But it, it was a manufactured. Yeah, come to theme. think of it, maybe they're yeah. not so good at building planets. Not because right. right. exactly. again, you know, yeah. oh, what 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 happened? Well, I was putting a porch on the back of my house, and, and then I made anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But um, <laughs> right, probably but, shouldn't uh, have bought the stuff to make anthrax when I was making right, the porch. Right. Oh well. But it, 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 it kind of tells you something about the Kalandans, though. Like they, they're very advanced, but then they they seem to be in this kind of. And maybe I'm projecting too much, but in this kind of arms race where their technology has gotten to the point where they can create these intelligent computers that will manufacture a weapon based on whatever the threat is coming its way. They've also gotten advanced enough that they can build planets and that maybe part of the byproduct of building a planet is some biological agent that uh, does not sit well with other Kalandans. Mm. Um, But yeah, I'm kind of putting this picture together in my head of the Kalandans being advanced, but, but also maybe a little too advanced for their ability to uh, to handle their own technology, their own weapons, you know? I want to say like, three things really quickly just to get them out of my head. Yeah, okay. do it. First do of it. all, Michael Kalandin, okay, because that's been going through my <laughs> yeah, head course. the whole, you, you the whole time and, and driving me nuts. And so yeah, I'm hoping okay. if I just say it, it'll be done. Good, good job. Second thing is they're sort of like precursors or follow-ons to um, the Magrathians. 
from the Hitchhiker's mm. Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know mm. if you know them. They built custom planets. Mm. And mm. so they, they kind of remind me of that. And they also had an automated uh, defense system. Wow. That destroyed that. people who, yeah, came through. And not often that you actually get to make a real connection between uh, Star Trek and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. right. But there's one right there. Um, and I can't remember what the third thing was. Oh, you say, you know, maybe you're projecting a little bit. You have no choice but to project in this episode. Yeah, that's very true. The We're summation very, the yeah. summation at the end of this episode is them really just making stuff up. Yeah. I mean, they know about Lucira and they know, you know, why things happen because she spells that out. But still, at the end of it, they're like, oh, she was so conflicted. I didn't get that. I mean, remember when, when Kirk used to just pull computer jujitsu all the time, right? <laughs> right. And right. by the way, this episode should have ended in Act 1. I mean, yeah, the second totally. they realize that this is an automated thing that's coming for them, then Kirk should be like, oh, I got this. <laughs> You're right. Hey, LaSera, figure out pie for me. Right. <laughs> Ta-da. <Right. laughs> yeah, I mean, that really – so it's kind of there's – there's a whole lot of – I mean, not just – on our part, I think, or on the viewer's part, but even on the part of the people from the Enterprise of just like, you know, I, I got to make this make sense in my head. So here, I'm going to I'm going to try this and you guys tell me what you think. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, there is something about this that I, I do kind of like in the science fiction aspect of this, that this sort of time capsule that is left behind by the Kalandans, you know, it's not there for fun, like an earthbound time capsule that we might create at a world's fair, you know? Um, But, but I like the idea that a, a message and a mechanism is in place intended for the people who would follow the Sierra. And she is then the representation of an entire civilization gone completely bust at its own hands, accidentally. Um, but the last remnant is still there for someone else to discover. Uh, and we've done this, you know, a, a little bit on uh, on Star Trek every now every now and then. You know, when uh, when Kirk gets inhabited by Sargon, uh, it's sort of like, well, we, we destroyed ourselves, but we left behind this thing, hopefully to be discovered. Hopefully so we will be remembered or can have some some version of a life after our mistakes. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool if I'm digging for cool things in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to, uh, I want to visit the last line here for, for just a second. Um, the, uh, the beauty, dramatic pause, dramatic pause, survives line that, that Kirk says. Because um, after seeing the episode several times in preparation for this, I'll, I'll kind of take my cynical hat off for a minute and uh, and say that Kirk, ladies man Kirk, even though they've pointed out how many times she is beautiful in the physically beautiful in the episode, right. that he is talking about the range of emotion, the the compassion, and as he says, the regret and the guilt at the prospect of killing, that the display of human compassion, a human-like compassion, imprinted on a computer-driven avatar is a kind of beauty. So um, if there is something positive to be gleaned out of this, I, I kind of like that. Uh, but, but also, uh, she was hot. <laughs> if you're just looking at this cynically through the eyes of a sexist crew, but I'm not doing that right, right now. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying that, uh, that they managed to give it a, a somewhat poetic ending and, uh, and, and fix 
what uh, what Spock said at the end by giving Kirk that last line. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel it. Yeah, well, I just, I mean, I, I, it's it's there was I mean, going back to what I said just a minute ago, there's so much mm-hmm. projection in yeah. this episode. It's crazy. I didn't even get the sense that she regretted killing. I mean, she's like a perfect, she's like a perfect killing machine. Like, hey, D'Amato, don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. First of all, he's an idiot. Be, <laughs> be afraid. Okay, she wasn't there, and now she's there, and now she's advancing on you. And the whole time he's like, hey, this is cool. <laughs> he actually well, says that, right? She's like, I am yeah. for D'Amato. And he's like, well, lucky D'Amato. <laughs> unless that was his name. You know, maybe he was just introducing himself more formally. Lucky. Right. Now, call right. me lucky. It's... I mean, it, it didn't feel to me like there was regret. It didn't feel to me like there was conflict necessarily. It felt to me like a weapon system that was either malfunctioning or using obfuscation to get what it wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get the real sense that she even understood that she was killing. I mean, she's just saying, "I, I don't want to kill you. I just want to touch you." Which, by the way, will lead to your death. But let's yeah. not talk about that. I just want to touch you. I mean, she is a. She is produced for a specific purpose. To not serve that purpose. Uh, pains her in a way and it doesn't matter that that means that somebody's going to die i mean she doesn't like she doesn't even pause when she's about to kill somebody so i mean the fact that the fact that this gun has printed on it i don't want to kill you does not (laughs) does not say to me that you know well of course a gun is not really a fair thing i mean the fact that this well she's a gun i mean the fact that you know she's taking aim saying don't worry i'm not going to do anything there she's like jack nicholson coming through in the shining (laughs) <laughs> I don't. I, I don't want to hurt you. I just want to bash your brains in, right? Well, but but she's an intelligent weapon modeled after you know modeled by a computer who's it, 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 take like Nomad, okay? You know Nomad, the unfeeling, uh, unflinching, total lack of compassion. It's just completely following its programming right. to go out into the universe and wipe out anything that is not pure by its standards. This is a little bit different. I mean, even though the computer is designed to get rid of intruders, um, we have to assume that the Clandons are intelligent beings. And maybe if the Clandons were still around, they would tell their computer, oh, wait, 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 we we don't mean just kill every intelligent being. Wait, 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 we can actually talk to these people. Hang on, hang on. I think you're looking at it and seeing Lee Merriweather. (laughs) I mean, no, honestly, I think that's what it is. I mean, I think it, it is because she's pretty. Hmm. I, I think that's the only thing that Kirk's seeing and that anybody else is seeing as well. Because, I mean, there's – you say – maybe the Clandons would say, hey, don't kill everything, except, you know, everybody on their planet is dying. So what does she do? She sets up a system that will kill anybody but the Clandons. I mean, because this was not like – this was not like a, a Landru. I mean, we've always sort mm-hmm. of assumed that mm-hmm. Landru malfunctioned somewhere along the way. Or this was not like a nomad. This was like Lysira saying, wow, that guy's dead, that guy's dead, I'm going to be dead soon. I better set up something that kills anybody that I don't want to be here. Hmm. I mean, that was that, and that was her conscious decision. And that's how she spent the last of her days, making sure that anybody who came there that wasn't her kind would be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, 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 but I'm still going by that, that hesitation. It's not just seeing pretty... Lee Merriweather, when I'm going by that hesitation in that conversation with Kirk, you know, he, he's calling her out, uh, the, the computer-driven Lucera, mm-hmm. what, essentially saying, what is your mission? And she's getting confused by it. You know, I, I have to protect. I, I have to do this to you, but I don't 
quite understand what it is that I'm doing. I, I don't necessarily want to kill. So that's what I'm saying. I think there's a conflict here between, you know, if, if the computer had just built uh, a, a missile, <laughs> if it had just built a thing with an exploding warhead that it can shoot at whatever is coming toward it, that would be one thing. But what we have is this kind of weird amalgamation of the unfeeling defensive weapon along with what I have to assume was a being with a kind of compassion and at least intelligence to be able to tell the difference between what is a real invader that is threatening versus what is not, what is another intelligent being that hopefully could be reasoned with. But but now we're so far removed from that point that all we have left is the defensive capability. See, that's really interesting. I would say that you would get just as much by asking a cash register next time what it is <laughs> it wants. No, because I mean, I mean seriously, yeah, yeah. because all we get is we ask her a question and because she's got some sort of interface that, you know, intelligent beings can interface with, and I wish mm-hmm. I hadn't just used that word uh, you know, twice that way. Sure, yeah. But because she's got some kind of interface with which people can interact, mm-hmm. then, you know, she's going to give an answer, and that answer may be stupid. It's no more intelligent an answer and no more of a struggling answer uh, or no more of a self-consideration answer, it seems to me, than asking a light bulb. Or asking a cash register or asking whatever. It, it's got sort of a human form and it can speak back to you. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's confused, I mean, doesn't stop, doesn't even think about stopping as a matter of fact. The next time they come in contact with it, it's found a better way to kill. Oh, you know what my problem is? I am one and there are three of them and the three of them can stop me very easily. By the way, they, they stop that weapon the same way I stop my dog. It's kind of funny to me. He wants to go down the hall. I don't want him to go down the hall. I stand in front of him, and he's totally stymied. So is this really super weapon, except that this super weapon then says, oh, you know what? You know what stopped me last time? There weren't enough of me. So I'm going to actually make myself more dangerous now. Mm-hmm. It it feels to me like everybody, anybody who sees anything in this, as far as like a struggle on Lucera's part, is absolutely projecting. It, it seems to me, and that's 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 Kirk. That's that's uh, you know Bones. Um, Definitely me, and and you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. and and that's you know fine. I mean that's cool. Whatever helps you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to an episode like this, are you like me? Can't get to the cartoons fast enough. So here we are, Ken, the wrap-up of another episode of Star Trek, the original series, that which survives. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what did we get out of it? But but first of all, before we get into what we got out of it, how does it hold up? You know, how uh, how do you rank this episode? Um, eh, I, I wish something else mm-hmm. had happened. I wish something more had happened. I was kind of, you know bored and sad after the first time watching it for this uh, show that I was going to have to watch it again. <laughs> again. <laughs> um, it's yeah, Lee Merriweather is nice. Uh, Bill Tice does a fantastic job every time he's given the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody walked around in this episode angry, even before anything bad happened. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed, obviously, based on the conversation that we just had, playing with the mechanics of, of the weaponry that was set up. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but no, I don't think this episode 
I mean, it's not, it's not that it doesn't hold up. It's just, it's not worth your time. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me. So, I, I mean, I don't know. When you ask the question, does the episode hold up? The problem is I'm not sure this episode worked the first time. I wasn't there right. for it. But I right. mean, you know, if you're starved for science fiction, then bad science fiction is great. We're not as starved for science fiction as we were in 1969, I don't think. As far as on television, heck, I could probably go to my television right this minute and find at least two sci-fi things. And they might both be terrible, but we've got more now than we had then. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt that this episode was great that week, except that people who love Star Trek love Star Trek. And, you know, I would rather watch this than uh, Sliders. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I don't, I don't feel like... Personally, for me, it, it did not hold up. What about you? Yeah, I... You know, the weird thing about this episode is the pedigree behind it. So mm-hmm. you have D.C. Fontana and John Meredith Lucas, mm-hmm. who are not slouches when it comes to Star Trek. They know Star Trek, and yet the dialogue feels like it was written by somebody who has just the most cursory understanding of the character. Like they saw one scene where uh, Spock might have said something kind of, uh, you know, smug or or correcting somebody else and they're just okay we're gonna do the whole episode around that yeah so it, it doesn't fit as a a piece of star trek writing which is what's very strange to me the, the, um, the writing on this honestly the whole time until you said the thing about dc fontana mm-hmm. that honestly throws me a bit because i assumed that this was um a fan that was basically yeah. writing a revenge of the nerd episode right somebody who's like always been right somebody who's always known the answer and who's always been beaten up for it yeah that they get to write this episode where the coolest thing you can be is a know-it-all because that's what everybody is in this episode yeah it seems like um yeah it 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 sort of it suffers from that and the weird thing is you said earlier we've got that thing again where you know the character is being what they need to be yeah these characters didn't even need to be that. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what's right. bizarre. Like if there's if there's a reason that it's important to know that they are nine ninety point seven light years away as opposed to about nine hundred ninety one light years away. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that actually played in later, that then you'd be like, okay, well now I understand why we had that this whole episode. It never plays in. It's just Spock being. It's Spock being the kind of jerk that we have not seen him be since season one. And even then, it didn't feel like he was just being a jerk. No, no. I mean, but in this, he's just being pedantic. And yeah. It, it, it's really unsettling. Like he's sick of humans. In this episode, he is sick of yeah, humans. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't care who knows it. And, and the whole <laughs> bit, the whole bit with um, uh, Scotty in the tube working, and you just hear Spock's voiceover in there. Like, now you've got 11.5. Three seven seconds, like, dude. I will work better if you knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. That's not helping. Otherwise, that's it was awesome, helping. though. Yeah, otherwise it was great. Now, I mean, here's the thing: it's just I think because of the writing and the pacing was really bad. You have a kernel of an idea here. You have a little bit of that creepy factor that I like, but it's just meandering. And I feel like the division of the a plot b plot is jarring like we really are just filling time yeah to to get to that 48 minute mark um and the problem is you know i hate to compare star trek to other star trek like i I want to look at an episode on its own 
and and judge its merits on its own. But then you you watch an episode like this and you go, man, um, City on the Edge of Forever. That's a great episode because there is no wasted dialogue at Mm -hmm. all. You can't skip one scene in that because everything flows together perfectly from beginning to end. And in this one, you could watch the first 10 minutes and then you could just jump to the last five and you're totally caught up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this would have been a good, this might've been a good episode of the animated series because those are 30 minutes long. Mm -hmm. This might've worked that way, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So is there a message here, Ken? Uh, I, I, no, I don't, no. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. This was, this was sort of what you were talking about a couple of weeks ago with, um, uh, whom gods destroy. Mm-hmm. We got a situation. We got to get out of the situation. That's pretty much yeah. it. That's yeah. all this episode was. And unfortunately, I mean, as you just said, and as I just said, I mean, this is a situation that could have been wrapped up in 30 minutes or less. And so making it 48 is just, is just a struggle. It's just, yeah, no. It, it, if, if they had moved the reveal about Lysira to the middle of the episode. Yeah. And, and then it actually became about what happened to the Kalandans, the, the missteps in building their, their weapons and, and this whole plan. There might have been something to explore there, and you might have been able to squeeze in a really good Kirk speech. Yeah. Um, you know, talking I, over with Lucero why it is that she has to do what she has to do, or making her understand that she is in fact killing. I mean, that, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. I mean, going back to the whole projection idea, you and and Kirk and a couple of others seem to be under the impression that she's struggling with it. And to me, it's just sort of like a little. It's a glitch in her programming. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really get that she's killing, but she does have a purpose that she has to serve. And yeah. and and if it had actually come to a place of talking it over with her or something like that, then you might've had something. Or, I mean, I would have been disappointed if they had pulled the, uh, you know, the, the, the mental jujitsu as we used to call it. Yeah. Uh, but at least that would have made sense to me. I mean, yeah. there's just, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's implacable foe. Um, and then somebody's going to swoop in and save them. And, and with a phaser, no less like, Oh, we're at the end. Shoot the phaser. Boom. We're done. <laughs> the other thing that's kind <laughs> of funny is like, shoot the computer. Yeah. Luckily, they knew what he was talking about because that could have been just a light fixture. It could have. Yeah. <laughs> a very nice one at that. Yeah. They, well, they shoot the computer and... Great. Yeah. Now we can't even see where she's coming from. So thanks. <laughs> right. Thanks. I hope right. I hope you hit the computer while you were shooting out the light bulb. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, I'll tell you one thing that does survive in addition to beauty. Uh, it is that Star Trek survives. And that means that next week there will be more Star Trek for us to discuss. Next week, the lights of Zetar. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. No matter what happens, dear listener or subscriber, always remember and never forget. I am for you. And transmission.
Now leaving Nerdist.com. 